Connecticut now. Okay. Not anywhere that I ever, growing up in Texas, never imagined ending up in Connecticut, but um, here I am. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let me read some more from the, the website. Uh, you began teaching scripture, theology, and spirituality to adults back in 2008. Currently, you serve on the faculty of the New England Catholic Biblical School as an, and also an adjunct professor at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, uh, teaching and facilitating retreats are works that Amy loves, and she spends time with fascinating topics. She loves to meet, meet amazing people, and she enjoys the community of a classroom as well as meeting new people at the parishes and places that she visits. And so I guess uh, what, what brought you up to New England from Texas in the first place? Yeah, so I met my husband at Catholic University in Washington, D.C. We were both studying theology there in grad school, and we got married in 2000, lived in Maryland for quite a while, and then he uh, applied for a teaching position here in Connecticut at Sacred Heart University, and um, we made the decision to take that job, and we moved up here as a family and just kind of took that leap of faith and um, we've been living here for over 10 years now. Really, really like it up here a lot. Yeah. And what was it uh, about, uh, obviously, uh, you say uh, Father Church had a in- impact on you, but what was it about your decision to leave one tradition and then become Catholic? Were there any, uh, uh, you know, maybe dogmatic issues or things uh, that, that, that helped you in that decision? Yeah, well, you know, I was in high school at the time, so this was something that was kind of happening around me uh, within my parish family. And, um, you know, I think the feeling at the time was just a lot of uncertainty about the future of the Episcopal Church and and just kind of wanting to, you know, find those deep roots in a, in a community that, um, you know, perhaps wasn't changing as quickly as the Episcopal Church at that time. So, um, you know, again, another leap of faith where, Two of our priests there just felt that call and that discernment to uh, become Catholic priests, and about half of us at the parish at that time decided to to take that journey as well. Um, you know, of course, my parents being being among them. So, um, yeah, so this community just kind of cropped up as a result of that. We had these two priests leading us, and then um, a lay community supporting that uh, journey. And so we all became kind of a very tight knit community over the next few years as we as we kind of took that journey together. Yeah, and the adjunct professor position at Sacred Heart University is that in Scripture or what? What primarily uh, do you teach there at the university? Yes, New, New Testament. Oh, okay, okay, and um, and then you're also a director of Little Rock Scripture Study, uh, a series of Bible study resources published by Liturgical Press. And so, do you do that at the parish level, or or uh, how 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 do you facilitate that? Nope. So that's actually my full-time job. I work for Liturgical Press, um, and the press is based in Collegeville, Minnesota, but fortunately I'm able to uh, work remotely for the press. Um, so yeah, my main work is directing the Little Rock Scripture Study Program, which is you know a variety of parish Bible study resources um, that we commission and edit and publish on a regular basis. And um, it's work that I really love and uh great colleagues and, you know, just get to work with and talk to people all over the country who are using our resources. Yeah. And, you know, having grown up Protestant, then becoming Catholic as a, as a teenager, and now, you know, very, being very immersed in, in, in Scripture, well, what is your assessment of, generally speaking, Catholics' knowledge and interest and uh, 
devotion to scripture. Do you think it's gotten better in the last uh, 20 years or do you think there's a lot of work to be done uh, as far as uh, Catholics and, uh, you know, reading and, and making scripture a part of our daily lives? What's your assessment yeah, on yeah. that? Yeah, I think the interest is definitely there. A very lively interest in, in scripture. I think always the challenge with scripture is it's a huge book. It's a complicated book. It's an old book. Um, so, you know, we all need help navigating that and finding the tools to help us better understand what that word is all about. Um, so, you know, it's really a privilege to be able to be part of that and try to provide some of those tools. And, you know, the, the teaching and the retreat work is along the same lines, just trying to help people break that word open and understand it, apply it to their lives and, um, and feed that desire that I think is certainly there among Catholics. Yes. Amy A.K. is my guest. Uh, she is coming to North Texas from Connecticut for a an annual women's retreat, uh, which actually is a collaborative effort sponsored by the Catholic communities of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish in Plano, St. Joseph in Richardson, Our Lady of Angels in Allen, and St. Mark the Evangelist Parish in Plano. So four, four parishes coming together for this. Uh, it's a, the Rosary of Our Lives annual women's retreat, which will be held at St. Joseph's uh, Gym uh, in Richardson, 600 South Jupiter Road. Uh, the cost is $40 as long as you register before February 4th and light breakfast and lunch will be included. And, um, and again, uh, Amy AK is going to be the, the speaker and the retreat master, uh, for this. Uh, it, interesting as you, you, we've talked a lot about scripture and this particular retreat is going to be focused very much on the rosary. And I know there's a connection there between the rosary and scripture, but is this another area that of great devotion to you, the rosary? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, the idea for this retreat, and it's a retreat I've, I've given before, um, and I just love it. And the women I've, I've done it with have, have enjoyed it. The inspiration came from a letter that was written by Catherine Doherty, who was a, a dear friend of um, Dorothy Day's. And Catherine had written this letter to Dorothy telling Dorothy Day that she was kind of going through this spiritual exercises of taking what she called pilgrimages into her past. And so, you know, we think of a pilgrimage as like a physical journey, mm -hmm. but she was describing it as kind of a spiritual journey within that she was taking and really mulling over her past and going back to events and places and people and relationships that had been a part of her journey. And she was writing to Dorothy Day, you know, to say that in one of these pilgrimages into the past, she had stopped at the altar of their friendship to worship God and to give thanks for his presence there. And she described her life as a combination of joyful, sorrowful, and glorious mysteries that had all come together um, into this life, had woven themselves together into, into this life that she was spending time reviewing and recognizing God's presence. And I just thought this, that was such a beautiful idea. You know, our past is just full of God's presence. And it's often so much easier to see God's presence in the past than it is in the present mm. or, or even in the future. So I think there's a real value in spending time there. And certainly, the mysteries of the rosary are grounded in Scripture. Um, so what we'll do together at this retreat is you know, reflect on this idea of going into our past and the value of that. But then we'll be spending time with these mysteries of the rosary um, grounded in scripture. So I'll be exploring some of those, the biblical aspects of those, and those biblical moments, uh, but really with an eye to applying that to our own lives and recognizing how God has been at work in the joyful times in our lives and the sorrowful times in our lives 
the luminous times and the glorious times. Um, so I'm looking forward to taking that journey with the women and then also giving them that chance to spend a little bit of time in quiet prayer and just reflecting on their lives and um, recognizing how God has been at work. Yeah, you know, I, I can, as you're saying that, I, I honestly never really thought of the rosary that way because when I pray the joyful mysteries, I'm thinking about, you know, the five stories in Jesus's life and Mary's life and their joy or their sorrow mm-hmm. or their, you know, luminosity, I guess you could say. But, uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It makes the, the rosary more personal where you can apply it uh, to our own, uh, I guess, the emotions and diff- different highs and lows of our own life. That, that makes a lot of sense. That's very interesting. Yeah, exactly. And there's, you know, there's a, uh, a coming together there where it's certainly the rosary is still about those events in the life of Jesus and Mary. But what can we learn from those and apply to our own lives and, and recognize that presence? Yeah, it also says here, uh, a day of reflection as we reimagine this classic symbol of Catholic faith, prayerfully imitating Mary by pondering in our hearts the loving presence of God in the rosary of our lives. And, you know, my wife and I and our kids, uh, we try to pray the rosary every evening and as much as I love it and as much as I'm devoted to it, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it, it is very rote and it's a lot of repetition. And, and sometimes mm-hmm. you can just be like, Oh my goodness, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. I think I, I, just to be honest with ourselves, it is repetitious, but it's also a very powerful prayer. And so uh, I was just curious how, how you would, um, maybe, I don't know if you and your husband have children or not, but, uh, you know, try, trying to make the, the rosary more, um, come alive for, for children, especially maybe teenagers, what would be your advice be? Yeah, it's, it, that is uh, so true what you're saying. It's, you know, I, I think Catholics have a, I don't know, love hate might be a little too strong, but you know, there's that deep love for the rosary. It's been such an, an important part of our tradition and a, a devotion that's been with us for many centuries, but it can be a very challenging way to pray. As you said, it, it can feel rote. <laughs> Sometimes it can feel a little overwhelming. You're trying to keep so many different things going on in your mind, the mysteries, your intentions, the prayers that you're saying. Um, You know, one thing when I talk to people about the rosary, I just, like you said, just kind of keep it real, be honest. Um, You know, we all have different types of prayer that are more inspiring to us or less inspiring to us. We have different spiritual personalities, and it's very natural that different things would appeal to us. Some people can't imagine their lives without the rosary. Some people have struggled, you know, with the rosary. So one thing I always just tell people is it's okay to just be honest about that. Um, you know, I do always encourage people, even if it's just a decade of the rosary, you know, praying a decade can be sometimes more meaningful than trying to cram the whole thing in, but not you're not doing it mindfully, you know? So sometimes that's something with families or with kids, you can say, we're going to focus on one mystery, today and just really focus on that one mystery, talk about it, tell the story, pray the Our Father, the Ten Hail Marys, the Glory Be together. Perhaps you have one intention that you're focusing on together as a family and just really make that one decade really meaningful. You know, again, rather than necessarily trying to get through the whole rosary, if that's a challenge for the family. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely scrupulosity can <laughs> rear its ugly head where, you know, you got to get through all five decades. Yes, and I, I sometimes yes. tell my kids, you know, we there's no, you know, it's not one of the precepts of the church that you have to pray the rosary every day. And so it's it's okay to not pray it. It's not like we have to, but so anything we do is 
better than if we did nothing. <laughs> you know, even if we pray one, 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 our Father. I mean, that's uh, that that's more than than nothing. Uh, Amy Ak is my guest. Uh, she is uh, the retreat leader and director teacher uh, who is coming to North Texas uh, for a women's. Uh, annual retreat, uh, which is sponsored, as I mentioned before, by four parishes in the Dallas Diocese, uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish in Plano, also St. Mark's in Plano, St. Joseph in Richardson, and Our Lady of Angels in Allen. It's going to be, uh, it's going to begin with daily mass at eight o'clock on Saturday, February 18th, uh, check in at nine, and then the retreat itself will be from 930 uh, to 3.30. The location is the gym of St. Joseph Catholic Church. Uh, located at 600 South Jupiter Road in Richardson. The cost is $40, uh, but after February 4th, it's going to go up by $5. And uh, let's see, I guess I, I, the, the only website I have, Amy, is yours. I, is that Can people get tickets at, at your website itself? Um, they can. So there is a registration site, and I can give that to you if okay. you'd like. Um, so that is uh, what they sent over to me is Joseph. Catholic.org. Okay, great. Slash women's dash retreat. Okay, uh, so. Or yeah. you can get it through my website as well. If you go to amyak.com, that's A M Y E K E H.com, and then go to retreats and talks, and you'll see upcoming programs. If you click on that, then I do have a link to that registration page as well. Okay. Well, it looks like once the retreat begins on that Saturday, it's going to be about six hours, and there is going to be a break for, uh, well, I guess for lunch included. Uh, how, how will it be formatted, and will there be small groups or more uh, kind of uh, classroom discussion base, or what, what will the, the retreat look like? Yeah, I'm hoping that the day will be really, well, first of all, that it will feel like a retreat. So, you know, a stepping back from our regular lives and just a chance to kind of find some peace, find some quiet, but also have that chance for fellowship with other women. Um, so we will have, there will be a series of four talks that I'll give for reflections um, on the mysteries of the rosary, the joyful, the luminous, the sorrowful, and the glorious, and talking about applying those to our lives. We will also have two uh, prayer periods where the women will have opportunity to uh, spend some quiet time reflecting on their lives and God's presence in those joyful, sorrowful, luminous, and glorious times. I'll have plenty of material there um, available to guide the women through that time. Um, and then we'll have, yeah, definitely, I hope towards the end of the day, we'll have opportunity for um, some small groups and some large group sharing um, at the end of the day, and we'll, we'll close the day with a rosary. Oh, very nice. Well, appropriately so, huh? <laughs> to have the rosary. Yes, exactly. Do you do a lot of travel or do you do these kind of retreats on a pretty regular basis during the year or what is your schedule like? Yeah, I used to do a lot of retreat work. Um, now that I'm working full time uh, and, you know, I have four kids and trying to juggle everything. So I'm, I'm definitely doing a lot less of this now. Um, but this is something that uh, the women down in Dallas had invited me to do several years ago, and this was the first year where the dates, you know, worked out for me to come, and I, I definitely have been looking forward to it. So, yeah, the um, I just wanted to get your advice about reading scripture. I, I know just from a personal standpoint, it's like, yeah, I got to read more scripture, read more scripture. Maybe I should do that, Father Mike Schmitz, you know, scripture in a in a year, or uh, you know, a lot of times just time goes by and we we just don't do it. So, what what is your advice for somebody to try to make scripture? A habit in their daily life. Uh, what 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 has worked for you or for other you know people that you you've come across? 
Yeah, I think, again, different things work for different people, but I think just trying probably not to commit to too much uh, too quickly. So, you know, sometimes people say, I'm going to resolve this year, I'm going to read through the entire Bible from beginning to end, and, you know, that that usually starts out pretty well and then bogs down. (laughs) Uh, Till about January 5th. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, sometimes we need kind of a community to help us, and that's, you know, where like a parish Bible study, or even just getting a few of your friends or a few of your family members and you know, looking for some good solid resources to help guide you through a particular book of the Bible or a particular theme that you want to follow um, in the Bible. You know, if you're just getting started, a New Testament book might be the way to go, just um, kind of as you're starting to learn that study process and that really digging in process. The New Testament tends to be a bit more familiar to us, um, kind of a good place to start. I read a tip one time that I thought was, was great, and it said, keep your Bible on your pillow. Mm. And that way, every night before you go to bed, it's there. And to get your head on the pillow, you, you got to pick it up. So you're either <laughs> going to do something with it or set it aside. But the idea was that at least every day, open that Bible and read a few verses. Yeah, um, yeah. That way, you know, again, you're not necessarily committing to reading the entire Bible beginning to end, but making that reading a part of your daily life and a part of your daily prayer. Yeah. Reading the Psalms, reading the Gospels, um, just endless, endless treasures there for us to spend time with. Uh, tell us about um, Lexio Divina, and if that is anything that you have incorporated into your uh, personal prayer life, and uh, or 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 that you you know suggest. I personally have a very hard time with it because it's you know so focused on typically you know one little passage, and I'm. To ADD, I want to move on and get you know the whole chapter read. But uh, is Lexio Divina something that you um, you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. And and again, Lexio Divina, there are many ways to do Lexio Divina. Lexio Divina really is just a prayerful reading of Scripture, and so it's that that approach to Scripture that says this Scripture can still speak to me today. This is ancient writing, but it, it's it's a living word and it can speak to me today. And God has something to say to me through this living word. Um, so again, maybe it's one verse, maybe it's a Psalm that you read, maybe it's a chapter from the gospels, but just being in a quiet place, reading it several times, letting the words roll through your mind and your heart and just being open to what God is saying to you in that passage, what words or phrases are jumping out at you, what images um, you know, there's not a particular way that you have to do Lexio Divina. It's really just spending that time with the Word in a prayerful way. Yes. Well, is there a recommended age group that you're targeting? Obviously, all adult women, regardless of age. But if somebody has a, you know, daughter and, you know, I, you know, what 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 age would you recommend would be the cutoff of uh, if women want to bring their daughters? Oh, I would think definitely young women in high school. Um, would be very welcome to be there with us. Um, I think it, it depends on on the young woman and her interest, and um, but certainly young women are more than welcome to be with us. All right, very good. Well, we're down to our last couple of minutes. Amy AK is my guest, and uh, you can find out more about her at her website. It's very simple. It's just her name with a dot com, A-M-Y, and then E-K-E-H, A-M-Y-E-K-E-H dot com, Amy A-K. And you can also go to josephcatholic.com 
com, and then I think it was forward slash women's dash retreat. I, I, if you go to jo- josephcatholic.com, that's the St. Joseph website, and I'm sure you can find it in, in somewhere there. But uh, anyways, uh, you can you can find get tickets there or at Amy's website. And again, it's the Rosary of Our Lives Annual Women's Retreat, Saturday, February 18th. And it starts with daily mass and check-in is at 9 and the retreat itself is from 9.30 to 3.30 at St. Joseph's Catholic Church Gym at 600 South Jupiter Road in Richardson, uh, 75081. The cost is $40 if you buy tickets before February 4th and uh, just $5 more if you wait till after February 4th. So, Amy, at this point, I'll just kind of throw it to you. Is there anything else that you would like to, to, to mention about the retreat uh, before we uh, uh, end, end the interview? Uh, just that I'm really looking forward to it, looking forward to meeting um, the women, and I'm, I'm already praying for the women that will be will, will be retreating with me that day. I'm looking forward to being at St. Joseph. My husband and I got married at St. Joseph, so oh. I'm looking forward to being there and being in the church and spending some time in prayer with the women um, as well. So I'll just be looking forward to it. Yeah, that parish has had some wonderful priests. I know um, uh, Father Don Fisher, who's no no stranger to radio, was the pastor there for many years. And of course, Father Cargo mm-hmm. uh, up until recently, I don't know, he, he's uh, left and now they got Father Stephen. And so some, yeah, some great uh, priests have been pastors there. Uh, Amy, thank you for your time. Um, I, I encourage all the women and uh, women's daughters and uh, regardless of your age to to make plans to go on this retreat Saturday, February 18th of uh, this year. And you can go to Amy's website, amyak.com, uh, A-K is A-E-K-E-H, or go to josephcatholic.com uh, for the, uh, is that right? Is it .com for the, the, the parish website? Is that right? I believe it's .org. Oh, .org. Okay. Right. As soon as I said it, I thought, man, I don't think that's right. <laughs> yeah, okay. Josephcatholic.org. Okay. Yeah. I could call the parish as well and get some direction there. Yeah, nowadays it's so easy to find that information, just do a search. All right, Amy, well, thanks a lot for your time, and uh, we look forward to uh, having you come back and have a little homecoming for you uh, on February 18th. Uh, Nice talking to you today. Thanks so much, Dave. All right, thank you. This has been the Interview of the Week here on KTH 910 AM. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions for future interviews, please email me directly, Palmer at grnonline.com. And thank you to Cicel for running the board, and thank you for listening. God bless you. Hike for Life Texas has been helping moms and saving babies since 1973. We are Texas's oldest pro-life event. The Hike for Life is a pro-life walk held in various locations around Texas to help women in crisis or unplanned pregnancies who have chosen to carry their babies to full term. The next Hike for Life takes place on Saturday, February 18th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Heritage Park Amphitheater on Santa Fe in Weatherford. The event includes a pro-life rally, food, speakers, and a march. Visit hikeforlifetexas.com to register. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Uh, I want to thank Diane Xavier for running the board, uh, back from a, a recent little bout of uh, illness, so it's great to have her back in the saddle with us. My name is Dave Palmer, Executive Director here at the station, and uh, this is the Interview of the Week, where we talk about local Catholic news and information and introduce you to great people, and I am always so delighted when we get to talk to one of our local priests, because I have just 
just such great admiration and respect for them. And a uh, dear friend of mine, Father Bruce Bradley, is the topic, uh, well, the, the guest, I should say, of this interview. I want to talk a little bit about himself and his parish, St. Elizabeth Anseton Parish in Plano, and also about some really exciting things happening at the parish, because they are in the process of building a whole new church. And if you drive by there in Plano, you'll see it's absolutely gorgeous and, and stunning, and we're very excited to see how this is all going about. So anyways, with no further ado, Father Bruce Bradley, thanks for joining me um, on the program today. Well, thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be on the Catholic Radio. Yeah. You, be able to share some things. I asked you for some of the uh, the information about yourself before uh, we started recording, and you were ordained back in 1978. That means you've been a priest now for 44 years. I was ordained at St. Thomas Aquinas in 1978. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 44 years of being a priest. Yeah. If you had to summarize your life as a priest for 44 years, <laughs> how, how would you describe it? How, uh, I'd say it's a constant uh, opportunity to learn <laughs> Uh, a constant opportunity uh, to share who our Lord is with others. It's, uh, I've learned something in every parish in which I've been assigned. And so, you know, after 44 years, uh, that's a lot of experiences, you know, put together. Yeah, and you have to be used to change, don't you? Because at any given time, you <laughs> yes, can be Yes, I would say, yeah, adaptability is very important <laughs> in parish life, you know, and, and adaptability to what the bishop may want you to do, you know, in, in serving in different parishes. Not what you want necessarily, but what the diocese, you know, at that time needs. We've uh, talked before on the air about your conversion to Catholicism, and I know you went mm-hmm. to Holy Trinity Seminary. Can you kind of give our listeners, for those who don't didn't hear that interview, uh, a little bit about your story of entering into seminary and in the Catholic faith? Yes. Uh, I've always, as a, even as a child, I was very interested in religious topics and paid attention. You know, we went to the Methodist Church as a small child, and then later on to the Episcopal Church, and I was confirmed in that. But I was always an avid reader of history, and the Catholic Church, of course, stands out in the past 2,000 years as an important historical um, institution. And uh, I kept asking the question, well, if it's the oldest church, why aren't we doing what they do? Why are we doing something different? Mm. And so that was an important question to me, and I began studying and studying and finally began going to Mass regularly in the Catholic Church when I was 19. Uh, I was a student at SMU at the time, and I ended up in the Religious um, Studies Department, which is the undergraduate department, similar to philosophy or history and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, so I graduated from SMU with a BA in Religious Studies, but I joined the Catholic Church in 1973, at St. Thomas Aquinas. This was before RCIA. We had three months of classes uh, with the parish priest, which happened to be Father David Fellhauer at that time, who later became the bishop in Victoria, Texas. But anyway, um, I was uh, confirmed and received into the church uh, uh, in Holy Week of 1973, and after I graduated from college, I applied to Holy Trinity Seminary uh, with the uh, concurrence of Father Fellhauer and uh, 
then Father Fellhauer, and also Father uh, Don Zimmerman uh, was one of my directors at that time. So I went out to the Holy Trinity and applied, and they accepted me there, and I was ordained uh, four years later uh, in 1978. Mm, wow, that's, that's, that happens so pretty I've quickly. Been serving, yeah, well, that's about what it is once you finish college. We didn't have, back then, they didn't have um, the pastoral year. Yeah. So it was really a four-year program for everybody, and I happened to fit into that program. So Yeah. That worked out okay. But, uh, yeah, I've been serving the diocese for 44 years in various parishes. As you know, at Mary Immaculate, where we built a new church, and other as an assistant in various places, uh, St. Monica, St. Pius, St. Cecilia's in Oak Cliff at one time. Um, I was pastor in Allen in St. Jude's for 10 years and Mary Immaculate for about nine years. And then I've been here in um, Seton, here in Plano, for over 11 years. Wow. Yeah, that's a, it's an amazing journey <laughs> throughout the diocese of all those various parishes. And so uh, I, I want to talk about the exciting things that are happening at the parish now, but the the history of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish itself, I'm uh-huh. guessing, well, I, I'm, I don't know if you know when the parish was uh, started. Yes, I'm it guessing was started, the, it was started in 1976. Okay. In an elementary school here in Plano. And that was the year that St. Elizabeth Ann Seton was canonized. Oh, wow. So that's why they chose uh, her name. Yeah. You know, as a mother, foundress, um, person of great charity, you know, and a convert. Uh, so they, they chose St. Elizabeth Ann Seton as the patroness here. And the parish uh, obtained property and grew and... Uh, it had some expansions, including a very beautiful new uh, educational building and social building on the other campus nearby that we finished in 2006 under Father Henry Petter. And then the promise at that time was to build a new church. And so that's the position that we're in at this moment. Yeah, and, and what was the final straw for you to decide or go to the bishop or what the process is of saying, okay, let, let's get started? Uh, what, what was well, that? Well, when, yeah, when I first came here, I wasn't real. Having built the church at Mary Immaculate uh, in Farmer's Branch, I kind of said to myself, well, I'll not do that again. <laughs> <laughs> but when we came here, everybody kept saying, well, we promised the people we were going to build a church. And they had some designs and some suggestions about it, and we conferred, and then we decided to move ahead with that, with some town hall meetings to see you know, what the people wanted. So we had two town hall meetings, I think in 2015 and 2017. Then in 2017, we, uh, we embarked on a real campaign and uh, with a real design, and then um, we be- broke ground October of 21, we demolished the old church because we didn't have enough space, honestly, to keep it. Um, there were some structural things, not especially in the air conditioning systems that were very problematical to, to retain. So we simply decided to remove that building and everything 
the concrete, the steel, the brick was all recycled uh, with various companies. And we began the excavations and the, and the framing for the new building which is now uh, taking place as we speak. Yeah, the the whole frame is pretty much up. It, it, it looks remarkable. The frame is up, and there's a lot of brick up, and there's a lot of steel work on the inside. Um, the bell tower uh, is up and looks rather lovely in the neighborhood. Uh, it's a um, Romanesque revival-style church, uh, similar to Holy Trinity, but bigger. Okay. When I say Holy Trinity, I mean Holy Trinity downtown Dallas. Yeah. Similar in some respects to that, but larger. Um, and, uh, yeah. Is, you know, the last weekend I, I was out visiting St. Um, Gabriel, the Archangel in McKinney. Actually, the first time that I've been in their church, it's, I think, one of the newer churches in the Dallas Diocese. Yes. I think a couple of years old. And really a, a very unique look. And you've probably been there. They've got the, the 12 apostles yes. in the background and big, you know. So how... Is there, how, how, I guess the, my question is, you don't want, you know, that your church to look too much like another church. And of course, you probably have a, a thousand opinions among the parishioners of what they would like the church to look like. So how do you make that decision? The diocese, I'm sure, weighs in. Uh, how, how is that decision made of what, what the, the style is going to well, be? Well, we started debating how, what style we wanted to use way back when we did the original financial campaign. But even when we did the town hall meetings, it was obvious to me that people wanted a traditional building. Yeah. So that usually means, in most people's minds, either Romanesque architecture or Gothic architecture. So we decided to go with the Romanesque style, which is rather like Holy Trinity Church downtown. And uh, the diocese has a criteria. They've modified it over the years. Um, but uh, we met their approval levels, uh, both for the structure, for the design, for the usage liturgically, uh, for the financial backing, and so forth. We had to fulfill all of those criteria that the diocese expects of us. We also have to have a professional project manager, and we use the same project manager that built St. Gabriel's in McKinney, and built St. Francis in Frisco, and built the new um, Good Shepherd in Garland, and also the expansion at St. Rita's. So he had very good credentials, and he's doing a, a wonderful job for us here. That's Kevin Bird uh, with DevCon Company. But anyway, we also are using um, HH Architects. Uh, they designed the building. They did the expansions downtown at the um, Episcopal Church of the Incarnation on McKinney Avenue. Uh, we, looked, we looked at their projects and were pleased with them. So they're very attuned to liturgical style and traditional style buildings. Yeah. And they were using the same company that built uh, St. Gabriel, the construction company, and also built St. Francis. So, you know, these are all people that we kind of knew and that were local and that we could feel we could depend on and we're being very pleased with what we see going up already the building is um, really i think remarkable to look at even though it's still unfinished 
Yeah, you know, I mentioned about visiting St. Gabriel for the first time. And, uh, you know, first thing I noticed was the, you know, the 12 apostles in the background. That's kind of unique. I, I have not seen that before. Is there uh-huh. any, is there anything, um, that. Well, let will... me tell you, about, yeah, let me tell you about the art, uh, the iconography and the art that yeah. we're using. We're emphasizing stained glass a great deal. Hmm. Uh, the behind the sanctuary is what they call an apse, which is a half dome. In that dome will be nine large windows uh, with angelic uh, themes that frame the background of the sanctuary. Uh, and the tabernacle will also be central. Now, as you move forward in the church, you've got the transepts, the, the cross. It's a cross-formed church. Yes. So you've got four opportunities on the floor level for uh, large windows, and someone suggested that we put the four apostles. So we selected those, and then we, in the nave of the church where the people sit primarily, uh, facing the altar, would be the 20 mysteries uh, associated with the rosary. Now those windows that I just mentioned, plus the three round windows, one over the door and one on each transept uh, wing, those three round windows or rose windows, all of those are being designed uh, by Molini Studio in Florence, Italy. Mm. And several families have gone over there on trips and they've gone by the studio and Molini is delighted to show their work to, to visitors. And they've come back and said, you know, what, what they're doing over there is even more beautiful than the templates that we have here to look at. The, the actual glass is so much prettier. So everyone is associated with this seems to be pleased. We're also using another company called Pedrini that is located, I believe, in Carrara. And they're using the same stone quarries that Michelangelo himself used mm. in his carvings. Oh, wow. And so we're going to have a carving of the Blessed Mother at prayer and St. Joseph and the Child Jesus flanking the sanctuaries. We're going to have some statues uh, back towards the front of the church where people can kneel and pray a while of um, the Blessed Virgin and Child and also of, um, really it's a kind of sacred heart, divine mercy, risen Christ figure, you know, where people could also, all of those of stone. Yeah. The Stations of the Cross will also be of stone. Um, The baptistry that we have is, you have to get into the nave of the church, you'll have to go through the baptistry. It's a large baptistry uh, with the font in the center, but plenty of moving space on either side for crowds to move in and out. So they can bless themselves, you know, as they enter and leave the church. Then there'll be a hallway or narthex in the portal of the church, but the narthex will also move eastward towards the old building, the old parish hall, where that way the, all the buildings are connected. But the narthex will be big enough for people to... Um, socialize before mass or after without having to do that. See, the the old church that we had was so small that people had a tendency to talk in church. What we're trying to do is is make the church more quiet and allow the, the talking and socializing to go on in the hallway before they come in. The portal of the church will have three large doors facing the street. So as you pass back and forth across the street, you can't miss the bell tower and the doors and the, and the kind of classic frontage of the building. It'll be very attractive, really. Yeah, very nice. Now, is... It seats, let me say, it'll seat around 1050, 
to eleven hundred people. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah. And we have more space for sanctuary, more space for choir, more space for seating, more state, more space for the confessionals, more space for baptistry, more space for everything. Really, I, I said to myself when I walked in there the other day and looked up at the ceiling. It's a barrel vault ceiling. Uh, I I looked up at the ceiling and I thought, yeah, it didn't look this big on paper. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's a big building. Yeah, you know? it is but big, it's, but it's. When it's all filled in, and all the glass and art is in, and the pews are in, and everything is furnished, I think it's going to be a very lovely and, and comfortable, well lit space. And and what There'll be a is lot there, of glass in it? Yeah, it sounds sounds remarkable, and I can't wait. Uh, is, is there going to be a, a separate uh, chapel? I guess, for lack of a better word, for like daily mass. We have a contemporary chapel uh, in the corner of the connection between the narthex and the new build and the old building that's kind of a memorial to what we used to have it's using the old altar the old crucifix the old ambo and so on that was designed by one of our parishioners historically you know mm-hmm. and made by them so we wanted to keep mr flynn's items you know intact and so we're, we're actually having a daily mass chapel that seats about 200 people uh, as well, yeah, we'll have that hmm. also. And I think when I spoke and to a you... nice courtyard, you know, uh, because of these buildings, they'll be essentially creating a courtyard that yeah. we want to design for, you know, receptions or outdoor meditation or whatever. Oh, wow. Sounds sounds wonderful. And uh, the timing, I, I think when I spoke to you last, you said we might still be about a year away. Uh, do you have a particular I, time when you think it's going to be opening that first Mass? Optimistically, I, I think uh, next fall, probably October, November. We should be in certainly by next Advent. Okay. Yeah, that's Certainly exciting. Certainly by then. And Bishop, uh, I will say one thing. Bishop Burns came out and did a walkthrough and before we got a, a lot of things in, but he was very impressed with the structure and said to me, I can hardly wait to come back to bless this building. <laughs> that's a good <laughs> sign. He was very pleased. He was very pleased with, with our design. Yeah. How, how is life now, you know, in, in the transition period? Uh, and because yeah. I remember going there when my, my stepfather, you said his, his funeral mass yeah. a couple weeks ago. And it's, it's not, not only is it, you know, like you say, the church has been, uh, you know, uh, totally, uh, you know, the, the old church is gone, the new one's building up, but you're, you're celebrating masses across the street. It's in a whole different location. So, how, how, is, how are people handling location. this? We have the new location. We have the new building, as I said earlier, the faith formation uh, building with a large gymnasium, which we use on Sundays right now. It seats, wow, easily 600 people. Uh, yes, it's been, uh, we all got ready for it. We took a deep breath and knew that we'd have to change our schedules and modify things. Of course, COVID had already modified our um, schedule. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of, in one sense, helped us get ready for the fact that we had to make a lot of changes because we were already making so many changes to deal with the COVID epidemic. Yeah. But uh, in the new building, uh, the mass there in the gym has worked out pretty well. The sound is good. Uh, it feels the, the the platform stage kind of makes it feel like a, a sanctuary, sort of, and so it's it just worked out well. 
Uh, our, we have daily mass over here in the old building in the old parish hall, which actually was our original church hmm. uh, back in the late seventies. Now, what about fundraising? You know, Is it paid for, or do you you can doing this in phases? Well, we we have uh, approximately over we have over thirteen million dollars in pledges. And we have a seven and a half million dollar um, loan, which we've only just begun to touch. We've been doing without that for the first year, actually. And uh, we've been our payments have been high enough and good enough, and from the people that we didn't even need to touch the loan for almost a year. Mm. So now, uh, but now we're getting he- you know heavy into a lot of construction, you know. Yeah. But the uh, the pledging has been very very high level, even with COVID and even with the economy. Uh, our people here have been very loyal to this project. I, I have been so impressed with the enthusiasm of our people in this regard. I, I was uh, I don't say I was surprised, uh, no, but I was pleased that they they want this. Yeah, you know, and when people want things to happen. They'll set aside uh, funds to make it happen. Yeah, that's for you sure. Know? So, what well, sounds uh, you know, very one exciting. thing we learned in COVID, you know, for instance, uh, people were spending a lot of money, for instance, traveling. Well, they weren't traveling during COVID. Yeah. So we saw in all the parishes, not just here, uh, an, a certain a certain kind of increase actually in giving. Yeah. Yeah. Some because. People weren't using it on other things, you know. Right. They were kind of saving it. But I think some people, too, realized that we were going to build a new church one day. And they had sort of set aside some funds with that in mind. Yeah. But yeah. it's gone well, actually. Sounds like it. So, yeah, very exciting. And I appreciate the opportunity to share this with our listeners because I know uh, th- this is something that interests people. They love beauty. They love, in the way you described what you're doing with this uh, church is so awesome. It's we, a classic architecture, and you're right. They do. We had a gentleman from Frisco send us a very large donation that we don't even know him, but he just said, I like what you're doing. (laughs) That's a good sign. So, you know, that tells you, you know, that people do appreciate beauty and nice architecture, you know, and it it, it gives glory to God and it lifts the spirit. Amen. Well, Father Bradley, we're out of time, but I I thank you for your time. Uh, Father Bruce Bradley, the pastor now for uh, 11, going on 12 years uh, of uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton Parish in Plano, Uh, 44 years uh, a priest in the Dallas Diocese. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, You've blessed my family immediately, and I know you've blessed so many families uh, uh, throughout your years of uh, ministry. So thank you for that. I want to give everybody the the website. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong here. Setonparish.org. Is that the right website, Father? Yes. Okay, Seton Parish, 2700 West Spring Creek Parkway, 75023. Of course, they're in two different locations, and as Father said, daily mass and weekend masses are in different locations, so you got to kind of figure out the, <laughs> the the lay of the land over there, but it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful church. I, I recommend, if nothing else, if you're not a parishioner there, just drive by uh, Independence and Spring Creek and just look at what's going on there from uh, from afar, and it's it's quite spectacular. Uh, Father, thanks again, and uh, congratulations on all the, the great things happening at the parish and uh we it's, it's it's been a blessing to talk to you thank you 
Thank you so much. Thanks also to Diane Xavier running the board. And uh, thank you for, for uh, listening, everybody. Hope your Advent and Christmas is a great blessing this year. And uh, we'll continue with more of these type of interviews in the new year here on the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. God bless you. Thanks for joining us for this week's KATH 910 AM Interview of the Week. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Catholic news and information pertinent to North Texas Catholics. Please join us again next week at this same time for another KATH 910 AM Interview of the Week. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM Frisco, Dallas-Fort Worth. Catholic radio for your soul in North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.